Welcome to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Each week we explore the beliefs shaping our world. Every day it seems someone new and noteworthy has a podcast, but finding good ones can be hard. So I pay attention to the awards. And earlier this year, the American Academy of Religion recognized a podcast hosted by Blair Hodges. The judges highlighted the nuance of the conversations and the ways he dives into exploring ideas and practices that may be a little off, well, the beaten path. If you follow Mormon scholars, you may recognize his voice. For eight years, Hodges was the host of the Maxwell Institute podcast, which is affiliated with Brigham Young University in Utah. It was a role he grew into, but after a while, he felt constrained by the mission, so he decided to go independent. With a background in communications and religious studies, in 2021, he launched Fireside with Blair Hodges. While he may have lost the platform that a large university offers, he found editorial freedom and an ability to lean into his curious nature and comfort having conversations with different people about different religious beliefs. It's something he discovered knocking on doors as a Mormon missionary. Uh, My own religious background is Mormonism. So I was born into a family that practices Mormonism, and I served uh, a a mission for the LDS Church, which was two years of when I was 19 going out uh, to Wisconsin and knocking on doors and talking to people about religion and uh, felt like I had something to deliver. And as a missionary, the more people I interacted with, the more I became curious about other people's beliefs. At first, as a way to make connections and introduce more of my own beliefs, but increasingly, uh, I was interested in other people's religions for their own sake. So that really sparked it. So I've I've grown up in a religion. I, I'm a sort of religious-ish type person, even still, uh, and that's that's kind of my background. Do you still identify as practicing religious-ish? I kind of get, I, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, so in Mormonism, to be active in the church means to like attend church each week, to have a calling, which means you serve in some sort of capacity in your congregation, whether it be a teacher or a youth director or things like that. Um, and so activity in Mormonism is pretty intensive. And I'm in and out of that at this point. My family doesn't practice. My partner and my two kids are not practicing Mormon. And so I would say I'm sort of off and on, but I'm a fundamentally Mormon person my own ambivalence toward my religion is rooted in differences I have over uh, social issues primarily. And so um, if it weren't for for that, I think I would be a lot more active in the church. But differences politically, differences socially, when it comes to some of my morals and values, uh, you know, make it difficult to engage every week. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I, I don't think it's easy to necessarily talk about that ambivalence or that unease, I feel like I, at least in this 
role that I have here from a lot of folks who are deeply rooted in their tradition, or they are deeply out of their tradition, I have either discovered mm. something else or they have rejected and deconstructed. I wonder if you feel like you are unique, or do you feel like there are more folks like you within your tradition? Mm. That's an interesting question. I I couldn't quantify it, but I think you've identified something really important here, which is a lot of what we hear on radio, through podcasting, are more polarized takes. The strong believers, the people who have been injured and damaged by religion and have strong convictions and feel post-religious, the people who are defensive about religion and have been uplifted by religion and who are apologetic for religion – And yeah, I think there's a number of people kind of in this middle territory. And, you know, we don't have, there's not a church of us or anything like that. So there's nothing to really organize around. But I think my my personal experience in this liminal space is reflected in the podcast that I produce, which is I wanted to make something that a lot of people could listen to, people who have been hurt by religion or feel convicted to have left a religion, uh, and also people who are still engaged with their religion. And that's a tall order, but I think it's possible to like have conversations that can actually transcend those differences and find something shared between people on different sides of, of the aisle, so to speak. So I, I think there's a lot of people that it could appeal to, uh, especially now that, you know, Distrust in institutional religions is is definitely on the rise, and I think there is a growing number of people who have a religious or spiritual impulse, but don't have a community or organization that they can channel that through. Oh, I think that is really a great description of so many people in not just in our country, but in the world. I think that Mm -hmm. the growing numbers of folks who are searching for a space to talk about and bring their spirituality, their beliefs, their morality into their daily lives, but are not necessarily willing to suspend their doubt or their criticisms of abuses of power is something that Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely have been hearing a lot about. So what was the spark for Fireside Chat? What happened in your life that you decided, I need to do this, I need to have more conversations? Yeah, so I actually started out with my first kind of big show was at Brigham Young University, which is a, it's a Mormon institution. Uh, it's owned and operated by the church. And I worked there for eight years, and I started a podcast there called the Maxwell Institute Podcast. And that's a show where I interviewed scholars of a lot of different religious traditions uh, who are approaching religion from a scholarly perspective, but one that's fairly faith-promoting. Um, if if not apologetic. And I was able to interview some of the biggest figures in biblical studies, like James Kugel um, and Amy Jill Levine and these type of folks. And it was, it was really rewarding, but working for the church institution itself just increasingly conflicted with my personal views on things like gay marriage, same-sex marriage, things like trans rights, um, women's issues and feminism. And so, I felt increasingly out of place in that environment. And throughout the course of my time there, there were a number of books that came up that's like, oh, I'd love to interview that person, but I don't think it would work in a BYU environment. And so I would kind of put them in my back pocket. So when I decided to leave BYU and uh, take a different position, I had kind of this collection of books of these people that I had always wanted to talk to. And so 
season one of Fireside was like the greatest hits of people that I didn't have the chance to interview because I was at a conservative religious institution. Mm. That answered a question that I was going to ask you, which is in looking through some of the interviews and conversations, I was struck by your kind of engaging with folks who were on the margins, questioning institutions, and they're bringing in voices that we don't often hear in institutions that are seeking to explore or lift up the values of different religious traditions. You know, the trans theologian, for example, is something that you're not going to hear in a lot of places. As you set out to do this, what was the response? The people that I reached out to loved the idea, and I was able to point to my track record with the Maxwell Institute podcast. It, It had won awards. You know, I had a really good number of subscribers. It was a big show. And so I could point to that as I was reaching out for guests and say, here's what I'm trying to do. And everyone was really excited about what I described, and I'm grateful that they took a chance on a new show. And then building an audience, you know, I was just connecting with people who had known my previous work, and I don't reach anywhere near what I was reaching through an institutional platform. Um, Being an independent podcaster is a bigger challenge, but, uh, you know, shows travel by word of mouth. People recommend this stuff to their friends. The guests were excited to talk about the things I was talking about. The listeners were excited to hear about it. And most of all, since I was leaving the Academy at that point, I wanted to stay connected with some of the most incredible people that I've known in my life. I knew leaving the Academy would be difficult because I would feel like I was missing these incredible conversations. And so doing Fireside with Blair Hodges has let me stay plugged in and stay connected to a lot of just like incredible people. So it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Being at BYU and being in this position in which you are seeing these ideas percolate in the academy, but you're now not in the academy, why do you think public voices, public theologians have such a hard time talking to and getting their ideas out of the academy? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I mean, there, I think there are a number of reasons. First, uh, I would say nuance can be a real issue. Um, I don't think algorithms reward nuance. And so to get an audience and to get attention in a very loud media landscape is challenging. And it can be discouraging because people seem to want a quick answer that they can, can get from a quick, short podcast. And people in the academy want to sit down and talk about stuff for a long time and and kind of go over all of the nuances and debate different things. So it's a different register. And even my job as the podcaster was to stand in for a broader audience as I'm talking to scholars and help them translate what they're saying, (laughs) help them use smaller words and talk in ways that like regular people talk and shifting over to fireside. More of my guests have been more able to do that. I'm not as tied to the idea of like how prestigious a scholar is. I'm just like, who's interesting. Even for my show, I think it's going to have a limited audience just because I don't think many people like to kind of just chew on stuff and really dig into the dirt. I think it can be, I mean, I don't even listen to a lot of shows like my own show. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I get it. I'm not judging people. I like, I understand it, but I also think this, this little niche kind of thing is really, really nourishing and that there, there are people out there who connect with this stuff. And that's why I think shows like this matter. 
there's some good radio shows that do a good job of getting into the weeds a bit. Um, but your most popular podcasts are more chatty. They're not getting into the nitty gritty. They're just sort of like gut reactions and common sense ideas. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to be popular in that landscape. It is hard to be popular in that landscape, but that doesn't mean you don't have an audience and that there aren't people out there hungry to better understand the things that are pulsing kind of beneath the surface. Which kind of brings me to this question for you over the last few seasons doing Fireside. What's been your favorite conversation? I don't, you know, I mean, this is always like asking who your favorite kid is, which is like an impossible. <laughs> okay, point. let me ask the question differently because I have kids and I get that. You totally <laughs> just brought that home for me. There are conversations I've had that have stayed with me, like nuggets of insight mm-hmm. that somebody will share on a topic that I think I really get or know. And they just kind of throw me with like an aha that makes me see things differently. Have you had conversations like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and putting it that way is helpful because I think it signals that like my own reaction to my show is going to be as personal as any listener's reaction is going to be, which is some episodes are going to personally resonate with me more than others. And one that comes to mind is David Dark. For listeners who may not be familiar, Blair, I think you're talking about that assistant professor of religion and arts at Belmont University in Nashville. He has a new book coming out this fall. We Are What We Normalize, which is a response to the culture of shaming and fear-mongering. I'm personally looking forward to that book because he does something a lot of others don't do. He really unpacks the unspoken reasons why it can be hard to resist norms in our culture that make it okay to harm others. But I'm curious, uh, Blair, after your conversation and reading his work, how would you describe him? Yeah, David Dark is a... Uh, a sort of Christian social critic uh, and a social justice oriented person who wrote a book called Life is Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious, Mm. which is a really provocative title. And I think people who are post-religious or people who have bad feelings about religion, it's sort of an offensive title to, to basically say, like, you should be religious. But when you start listening to what he's saying, he's actually talking about things that undergird religion that apply to everybody, which is like, what are our driving values? What matters to us? And what are the stories and cultural products that help us make sense of it? So to him, he's a huge Radiohead fan. And like Radiohead, in a way, could be just as scriptural as the book of Genesis in some ways for him. Blair, let's take a listen to a clip from that conversation with David Dark. You bring up C.S. Lewis in this chapter on questioning religion, a a distinction that he made between people who use art and people who receive art. And you apply this to religion. Yeah, I would say that I am a recipient and a glad beneficiary of the Christian tradition. And of course, there is much that is marketed as Christian that has been terror and has been (laughs) abuse. But when I say Christian tradition, I am referring to the witness of Jesus, the prophets, the early church. And I am never going to be done studying that and striving to be a part of it. It is a witness to mystery, but it is also a mystery in itself. That's where I would differ from folks who might want to say, basic Christianity says, 
I want to say it's way too myriad and weird and way too broad an umbrella to ever think that you could reduce the whole peasant philosopher movement of the early church to this list of tenets or beliefs. So to go to the C.S. Lewis thing, many use scripture, but not everybody receives it. And um, I want to receive it. Um, I don't even want to use Radiohead or Bojack Horseman or Black Mirror to say, you're using Radiohead to say this, or even you're using um, Jacques Derrida to make this point. So he's really looking at like, what are people's personal scriptural canons? Like what movies really move them? What music are they drawn to? And how are those reflective of their values? So he's really trying to get at a deeper core of what religion means, which is not necessarily an organized religion or a traditional religion, but is really looking at what all religions are supposed to be getting at, which is our underlying values, the things we desire, the things we love. Doing that during the first season of the show helped provide a lens for what I wanted to do with the show, which is like explore and kind of give new language for these religious ideas that are still functional in the world, but some of the old religious terms have become like unusable for people. Um, like if you talk about repentance, for example, that's going to have certain connotations to people, but repentance is a really awesome subject to talk about. And you don't have to use that language. You can talk about, you know, forgiveness or about reconciliation or about repair. And so it's really finding out through David Dark's glasses, it really puts things into focus about like, oh, like life is too short to pretend that I'm not religious. As a human being who needs a story and has values and has loves, I am religious when I define religion that way. Mm. What do you recall most from that that you think about when you're walking through your day? Yeah, I see David as sort of this like this spiritually inflected magpie who's sort of like <laughs> flying over the, the the ground and picking up all these bits and pieces and sort of collecting them and taking them uh, to make his own little nest. I like that eclecticism. I like the ways that he sees in pop culture spiritual or religious impulses or value-laden impulses if you don't like the, the words spiritual and religious, mm. um, then it would be a, perhaps human impulses. I related to it so much because even in my most Mormon of days, I would be listening to all kinds of music. Like the Red Hot Chili Peppers could have a song <laughs> that connected with me spiritually in some weird way. But, oh, how can that work? Because they're also sometimes like dancing on stage naked or something like and that's bad right so it's a way to appreciate um and and find meaning and value in all kinds of stuff in the world and not have it be confined to whatever your own religious tradition is sometimes it can be easy to just navel gaze and get stuck on your own cultures sources and ideas and what david dark is inviting us to do is recognize how when we expand our canons, our visions expand as well. And it doesn't necessarily take us away from our tradition or from our beliefs. It can enhance those. Sometimes it does, and hopefully in a good way. But other times it's just an enhancement, and it just gives you a different way to think about things. So he's just open to other people in the ways that the stuff we encounter in the world connect us with other people. Mm. He sounds like someone we need to invite on this show. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. I love David. He's the best. So, Blair, tell me what's coming up in the next season. 
So the next season of Fireside is going to focus on family in particular, and it's going to be called Family Proclamations. And what I did was I went through every kind of different family structure that I could think of and found a guest or a book that talked about it. Within my own religious tradition, there's an idea that there's one right way to be a family, and it's the traditional 1950s Leave it to Beaver nuclear family type thing, um, mom, dad, kids kind of situation. And what I wanted to do was talk about all the ways that other types of families have incredible things to offer and are places where love grows and where people connect. And so I talked to single moms who are single moms by choice who just wanted to raise their own kids. I talked to writers who have an only child. I talked to writers who have a bunch of kids. I talk about transracial adoption. I talk about the immigrant experience and second generation people and some of the difficulties that come up in their own families between them and their parents. I talk about uh, trans kids and, and what we can learn from them, talking about uh, what it means to be asexual, uh, what it means to be single as an adult and not have kids. So just whatever kind of family configurations I could think of, I tried to find the best book about it and interview that author because everybody has some kind of family background or current family situation. And by setting it alongside other types of families, it really sheds new light on our own experiences and opens us up to new possibilities, I think. So that's the next season of Fireside. It'll be called Family Proclamations and it'll start dropping in like January. Blair Hodges, thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Barine. Thank you so much. Blair Hodges is the host, producer, and editor of Fireside with Blair Hodges. For eight years, he hosted the Maxwell Institute podcast at Brigham Young University in Utah. He earned degrees in communications and religious studies and brings them both into his work. Links to his website and podcast can be found in this week's show notes at interfaithradio.org. Coming up, Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg talks about forgiveness and repairing what we break. Stay with us. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. 
www.thepowerhouse.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. 